Do you guys know where Leviticus is? Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus. I know it's John's favorite book. I know. Yeah, he reads it every morning before his cup of coffee. Right. So Leviticus chapter 22 is where we're going to land. Leviticus 22, uh, verse 31. So pretty much towards the end of that. Leviticus 22, 31. I'll wait till you get there. Get on your phones or you can open your Bibles. If this is your first week with us, uh, just a heads up, every single week we're going through a different book of the Bible, Genesis to Revelation. In 46 weeks, we're going to cover the biblical story in the hopes that we can find our place in that story and it can just become our true story as it is the true story of the world, that we could be transformed by this incredible narrative. You and I use words to articulate what we want. We use words to articulate who we are. We use words to communicate between one another. And God's word, I don't know if you've ever thought about that, is his way of communicating, articulating, this is who I am, this is what I want, this is who you're called to be, this is the purpose of why I created the world, and where this all is going. A really fancy word for that is, what's the telos? You ever heard that word? The end. What's the goal? I think I'm going to turn this off. This is like bothering me. Is it bothering anybody else? I will be distracted. Can I just turn it off? Are you okay with that, Kristen? You're good. Don't worry about it. I'll just turn it off. Don't worry about it. Here you go. Boom. How about that? Did you guys know it did that? And the projector just goes up like uh, something from Star Wars in the back. It's great. All right. So Leviticus 22. Before I read this, I want you to stay there. But let me just read this verse before and after I read Leviticus. All right? This is from Galatians 5. So just listen to this, and then I'm going to jump to Leviticus 22, verse 31. Galatians 5, 1, it says, It is for freedom that Christ has set you free. It is for freedom that Christ has set you free. Leviticus 22 says, You must faithfully keep all my commands by putting them into practice, for I am the Lord. Do not bring shame on my holy name, for I will display my holiness among the people of Israel. I am the Lord who makes you holy. It was I who rescued you from the land of Egypt that I might be your God. I am the Lord. And again, Galatians 5, it is for freedom that Christ has set you free. Why do I read both of those back and forth? Because if you've ever read Leviticus, it is just 613 laws. Do this. Don't do this. Also, make sure you do this, but never do this. And when you're among this people, don't do that, but then do this. And then also, this is what I also need you to do. And make sure with your husband and your wife you do this, and with your son and your daughter you do this. Make sure with goats that you don't cook baby goats 
in the mother's milk. I'm not sure what that's about, but it says that in there. It says it. So don't do that. It also says weird things like don't get tattoos. You ever heard of that? It also says make sure that you put a railing, just like a bar, across the top of your house. If you don't put a railing upon the top of your house, does anybody have a railing in here? I do not. If you don't do that, then you might as well commit murder against your neighbors. You must hate your neighbors if you don't put a bar around your roof. Yeah, this, this is the feeling I'm getting. When I'm reading Leviticus, I'm thinking, what in the world is happening in this book? And how does that at all apply to me? Galatians 5, it is for freedom that Christ has set you free. Do you feel the tension in that? Here's 613 laws, very particular. And then the tension of New Testament, Jesus coming to say, I come to give you life and life to the fullest. And that includes baby goats and milk. Isn't that weird? If you don't think that's weird, let me just read you a quote from the mouth of Jesus in Matthew chapter 5. This is what he says. Because some of you, I know you've grown up in traditions in the church where they've taught you that the Old Testament doesn't matter maybe. I've actually heard it said from some preachers we need to unhitch ourselves from the Old Testament. I think that is completely wrong. I don't think you understand who Jesus is and what he came to do unless you understand the backstory. It'd be like reading the Lord of the Rings starting in chapter 46. Being like, I have no idea who these characters are. I have no idea what kind of story I'm in. I mean, this really matters. And from the mouth of Jesus, he says, don't misunderstand why I have come. I did not come to abolish the law of Moses or the prophets. Did you get that? So some people, in conversation with people, I've had this conversation hundreds of times, especially because I was a youth pastor for 12 years, and they would say things like, well, the Old Testament doesn't really matter now because Jesus, and Jesus contradicts that. He says, don't misunderstand why I've come because I did not come to abolish that. He says, no, I came to fulfill it. I came to accomplish its purposes. I tell you the truth, unless heaven and earth disappear, not even the smallest detail of God's law will disappear until its purpose is achieved. And here's what I think is really important when we read the book of Leviticus, and I know it's really hard. That's why I think study Bibles are really helpful when you read a book like Leviticus, because it says things like this. It says, do you know why God put that law? What's the heart? What is the purpose behind putting a rail above your house? Is that just a one-off rule that everybody's got to have a, a rail? Or maybe in ancient Near Eastern cultures, they hung out on their roofs in the early morning when it was dark and in late night when, when the sun would go down, and they would drink wine and they would have parties, and that was one of the coolest spots. You don't hang out in your house. This is not 1950 when the air conditioners were invented. They hung out on roofs, and it was kind to your neighbors to protect them. You don't have to. In ancient Near Eastern culture, that wasn't a have to. But for God and his holiness, what separates God from a lot of other gods is he cares about everybody that you are hospitable with. 
That's the purpose of the law. In that moment, that's what God's trying to say through that specific law of 613 laws. Now, a couple things about tattoos, because I got a couple looks when I said that. Number one, Jesus comes back with a thigh tattoo. Read Revelation, okay? So let's just get that out of the way. But also, in ancient Near Eastern cultures, again, there were tribes that would tattoo one another in worship of their little g-gods, and it was a marker, a set-apart for them, I worship these, these other gods. And so God of creation, God of the Bible, is saying to his people, Israel, just don't associate with them in this way for this time. Does it mean you cannot have a tattoo? I, I have just not met a scholar in my day and age. I mean, no joke. Let me just do the math here. Four years of Bible college, and now another four, eight, plus three, 11 years of Bible college, I have not met one professor that says you cannot have tattoos. They all culturally understand that what God was saying to them back then, what translates today? Maybe this would be a good translation. Are you ready? This, this might hit some of you in the gut, and I hope it does. Maybe, maybe it doesn't mean that you should scroll on your phone for three to five hours a day because that's what the culture around you does. And you are a distinctive community. You are an alternative to that. You don't need to be distracted in this way because you are connected to the God of the universe. You don't need to lose yourself in this and find any sort of dopamine hit by scrolling through your phone over and over again. You have Jesus. So be distinctive. Does it mean you can't watch TikTok? No. Does it mean you can't have Instagram? No. Should the way you use it be distinctive, be holy? Yes, it should. So maybe a good translation of tattoos would be social media. I don't know. I'm just saying there's a purpose and a heart to the law that when we read a book like Leviticus, we have to understand God's heart in this. He's saying, I want you to obey these so that you will display among all people who I am. It bothers me at times that Jesus, in a, in a good way, but it bothers me at times that Jesus calls us his body as the church. People don't get to see the face of Jesus in 2023. If they want to know what God's like, in Jesus' day and age, all they had to do was look at him and say, oh, that's what God's like. When he comes into these situations where somebody is deaf and all of a sudden they can hear, they're blind and now they can see. Somebody's forgotten and now they are found. Somebody's on the margins and they're brought in and Jesus says, let me throw a party at your house. That's what it looks like when God's in charge. That's what it looks like. How do people know what God's like now in 2023? How do we become the kind of people that display his holiness? And again, Galatians 5, it was for freedom that you have been set free. Jesus cares a lot about our obedience. He cares a lot about us following him. I would say God's love language is obedience. Do you love him enough to trust him to do the things that he's asking you to do? Let me read some things that he's asking you to do. Because in Matthew 5, 6, and 7, where Jesus, I already read a part of that. Matthew 5, where he says, I didn't come to abolish the law, I came to fulfill it. Then he reinterprets the law, and by the way, the standard of the Old Testament, Leviticus, is here, and Jesus says, I'm going to take it here. You think, he goes on to say, 
you think uh, it's important not to murder your neighbor like it says in Leviticus, I'm going to raise that bar and say you shouldn't be angry with anyone. Don't look at people with anger. How high of a standard is that? He says, you don't think, in the Old Testament and people around you, they say adultery is bad. Having sex with women that aren't your wives is not a good thing. I'm saying don't look at a woman lustfully. It doesn't just matter what you do with her. It matters, do you see her as an object for your pleasure or do you see her made in my image? Jesus takes the standard and raises it. He says about vows, don't be all fancy with words. Don't say, oh, I promise I'm going to do this. I vow to do this. No, just let your yes be yes and your no be no. He talks about revenge in here. One of the hardest things he teaches about loving your enemies. He says, you've heard it said, love your neighbor and love your friends. Well, even the world loves those people who are good to them. I want you to be a distinctive people. I want you to move towards people that hate you. And he modeled that by going to the cross. He didn't have to go to the cross, but he chose to, and he calls us to be that kind of people, to suffer for the good of others. Sacrificial love might be the defining characteristic of us displaying the glory of God in our day and age. Then he talks about prayer. He says, not only is holiness not something not to do, holiness is a robust to do something. So I want you to enter into relationship with me through prayer. Pray like this. Pray our Father in heaven. When you pray, declare that God is not just a God far off, that he is our collective Father. There's an intimacy there. He is in heaven, meaning he's close by. I know that in America, when we talk about heaven, it's a place that you go to when you die. In Jesus' day, when he talked about heaven, heaven and earth were all around us. It was It was an atmospheric word, if I can say that. No, when you say, our Father who art in heaven, what you're doing is declaring, God, you are close, and you're my Father. Don't be like the world around you. Be a distinctive people and know that God is not far off. Satan would love nothing more than for us to buy the lie that he is far away and has nothing to do with our day-to-day life nothing to do with our parenting, nothing to do with our finances. He goes on to talk about that. You want to take a guess at how much Jesus talks about finances in the New Testament? 15% of everything he said ties into money and possessions. Why? Because the love of money is the root of all evil, as later in the New Testament it says. And I think we can all agree it's got some roots in our heart too. Money, possessions, things. Does he say money is the root of all evil? No. Money is like a brick. You can build a house with it. That's great. Or you can throw it through a window and rob somebody. It's how you use it. It's just a tool. The love of money is the root of all evil. If you want to know what it looks like to be a holy people, look at Matthew 5, 6, and 7. I would encourage you, go read, just skim it. If you've never read through those three chapters ever in your life, think about this. That's the biggest sermon we have of Jesus's. Just try it on and journal through. Man, I'm not really struggling with anger right now, but maybe lust is an issue for me. Maybe I'm not struggling with lust right now, but maybe I have a really hard time forgiving this person. And you're just bringing it before God and saying, I need your help. Here, Here is, in my opinion, the most hopeful thing about being a Christian 
following Jesus, in John chapter 14, I won't even read it. The whole chapter, John chapter 14, Jesus is saying, I will not leave you as orphans to figure this out on your own. I will give you everything you need to be a holy people. You don't have to follow the 613 laws. It is for freedom that I've set you free, and I'm giving you my spirit of freedom. He says very clearly in John 14, as he's about to go to the cross, he says to his best friends, he says to us, I'm giving you my spirit. And I want to encourage us to think and pray and desire to be led by the Spirit. Because it is really about, if you want to live in the freedom of Christ and obey these kind of things, it's not going to come by gritting your teeth. It's going to come by raising your hands and surrendering. And saying, God, I really do need your power. I need your help. Let me read this part from Galatians 5. We who live by the Spirit eagerly await to receive by faith the righteousness that God has for us. He is the one who's called you into freedom. Don't use your freedom to satisfy your own sinful nature. Instead, use your freedom to serve one another in love. So I say this again. This is the Apostle Paul, Galatians 5. Let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Do I think you need to memorize the book of Leviticus? No, it'd be cool if you did, Faith Ann. That'd be awesome. If you just dedicated yourself, that'd be impressive. But do we need to? No. What, do we, what are we called to do? Let the Holy Spirit guide our lives. You want to experience the freedom that Jesus died and resurrected for? Live by his Spirit. And when you do, it's not just a matter of do's and don'ts, like Matthew 5, 6, and 7, where Jesus is painting a picture of this alternative community. The characteristics of who we are start to change when we live by the Spirit. Galatians 5 goes on to say, if you live by the Spirit, if you let him guide your life, you will be marked by love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Tell me those aren't the qualities that we need in our day and age with our families with our friends, with our enemies. How do we get there? By letting the Holy Spirit guide our lives. So very practically, I don't want you to end, like walk out the doors and say, all right, let the Holy Spirit guide my life. Got it. What does that mean? <laughs> it means a lot of things. Number one, I think we cooperate with the Holy Spirit guiding our life by soaking in this story. I think this is, the word of God is called the sword of the spirit. Why do you think it's called that? He's wielding it in our life. Will he force you to read his word? No. For thousands of years, did people even get the chance to read the word on their own? No. Okay, not till the Gutenberg press did people have that opportunity. So, what does he mean by that? If nothing else, leave this room and soak in what you've heard, not what I've said, but what you've heard in here, in his word. Let that shape you. Let the Holy Spirit guide you. In terms, When I'm reading scriptures in the morning when I first wake up, I'm not just reading it to get it done. I'm reading it to cooperate with the Holy Spirit's work in my life. It's an interactive reading as if he's with me and I'm saying as I'm reading about anger, God, I'm angry with this person. I think I've told a lot of you this story, but last year I took a 
two-day retreat, and I was going to spend 12 hours on Psalm 23. Just felt led to just read Psalm 23, memorize it. I didn't get past the first verse for 12 hours. I couldn't. I read, God is my shepherd. I have everything I need. And I said, bullcrap. I don't feel like I have everything I need right now. I want this, and you're not giving it to me. And also, if you were a good shepherd, you would do this and this and this, and you're not doing that. And we got into a shouting match, and he won. At the end of the day, God won. I lost, and I surrendered and said, no, he is a good shepherd. He has given me everything I need, not maybe everything I want. And he's calling me to be more content in some certain areas. Let the Holy Spirit guide your lives by the word of God. Let him guide you through that. Number two, community. How do we cooperate with the Holy Spirit? Not only has he given us a new story, he's given us a new community to follow with. I know some of you, a couple weeks ago, like we, started, we started two rhythm communities. If you don't have a community outside of here that you're following Jesus with, this Sunday night, tonight, 4.30 to 6 at my house, this Wednesday night at the Italis' house, it's just every other week they meet. Like all that is, we're offering it to you. Why are we doing it? Because churches do small groups and that's what you have to do? No, no. We are offering it because it is a way for the Holy Spirit to guide our lives. Can I just tell you how many times in my life where I was reading the word and thinking I was being guided by the Holy Spirit and then some believer in my community would come up to me and tap me on the shoulder and say, have you not noticed this is pretty jacked up in your life? And like Proverbs says, a friend is willing to wound you but an enemy multiplies kisses. I want to be surrounded with people who are willing to wound me. Friends who in love say things like, I remember walking into church one Sunday as a young youth pastor, and I was probably 10 feet ahead of my wife walking into this church service. Something so small. But I had an older friend, he was, he's probably 50 years old, I mean older than me. He's probably 50 years old, and I was 24 at the time, and he had the love and the audacity that after my wife sat down, he pulled me aside, off to the side. His name was Rich. He said, hey, Matt, what are you doing? I said, what are you talking about, Rich? He goes, yeah, so you just walked like 100 yards into the church service without even acknowledging your wife's presence. You're so busy talking to everybody around you. Do you think that that's what the Holy Spirit and God like, is calling you to be as a husband in this moment? He goes, dude, You've got to put her before anybody else. I love you. I mean, he said, I love you. Don't ever do that again. All right? This is uh, 15 years later. That was maybe maybe a minute, two-minute conversation. The Holy Spirit will use the community of God to guide your life. He will. We discern better together what's right and wrong. What's the next step? We don't have to be confused in a closet. He's given us a community. Last but not least, How do we let the Holy Spirit guide our lives? New story, new community, also new practices. There's some things that we practice that other people around us don't. Reading the word is one of them. Prayer is another one. Community is a practice that we do. Resting is a practice. Sabbath is a practice. Silence and solitude is a practice. Journaling is a practice. Walking in creation and saying, thank you, God, for that cactus is a practice of gratitude. There are at least 77 that I can think of practices that God has given us 
to cooperate with his Holy Spirit's work. That's why we named this church Rhythm Community Church. It's from Jesus' invitation to come learn the unforced rhythms of grace. What are those practices that help us to be that alternative community? If you want to know what Leviticus is about, for them back then, it was about displaying God's splendor in their context. You want to know what kind of holiness we're called to? That's what we're called to now. By the Holy Spirit, we are called to display his splendor in our marriages, with our friends, with our enemies, how we spend our money, our time, especially when nobody's looking. And hear me on this. This is my final point, and it leads us straight into communion. It is his holiness that makes us holy, not what we do. Not even the new story, not the new community, not the new practices. All of those are dead in what Jesus calls whitewashed tombs without his presence, without the Holy Spirit, without his grace, without his mercy. We are not holy. We're not set apart. He is the one who sets us apart. And every week, we take communion. We take a piece of cracker that was made by hand this week. Thank you, Carly, Rick. We take the bread that represents his body, broken for us, that we might become holy as he is holy. We dip it in the juice, reminding ourselves it was his blood that was shed. The scriptures say that there's no forgiveness of sin without the shedding of blood. It's that serious of an offense to a holy God, and that makes us holy. He makes us holy. His blood, not the juice, his blood makes us holy. And so as you go and take communion this morning, may you rest in his goodness and his provision and his holiness. And just think about how might I in the coming week display his holiness in my day-to-day life. So let me pray for you and you can take communion whenever you're ready. Father, thank you for your word that says that you want us to be your people. And I'm just thinking about my own life that's so jacked up at times. Why would you want us to be your people? Why would you give us the responsibility to be your body, your church, Jesus? I think it has to do just with that you love us. And you're never going to give up on us. Your love is so great. And so as we take communion this morning, may we be reminded of your very specific personal love for each one of us. May we receive the forgiveness of our sins anew today. Remembering that your sacrifice is all that needed. You fulfilled all 613 laws. And we don't have to, but now we get to live out our own holiness because we want to, because it was for freedom that you have set us free. Help us to delight in that freedom today. In Jesus' name.
Hey, thanks for listening to the Life and Rhythm podcast. If you'd like to know more about Rhythm Community Church, you can go online at rhythm.community. Peace.